goal chance for Conor McGrath. Ernie, surely give it in, Conor. What a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Team Mackie still going. Goal is up for Cats! Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne! If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. Will stick in your mind at the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. A small change before the game, worth the street. <laughs> Been a look, said oh, Donovan. Donovan has had a back. wild effort on goal. It's over! It's Yes, you're very welcome to week two of the GA podcast here on Off the Ball. We're here with thanks to our sponsors of GA on News Talk, Borgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GA Hurling All Ireland Senior Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag Hurling to the Core as usual. It's Dave McIntyre and Shane Stapledon broadcasting this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in. How are you, Shane? I'm great. Yourself? Yeah, not a bother on me. It's um, the first week where we actually really have some uh, a calendar of fixtures to look forward to. Yeah, we were kind of, you know, we were plotting in the dark there last week. But luckily now we've actually got some nice fixtures coming up the weekend. Monaghan, Fermanagh, Tip Cork, Donegal, Antrim and three games in Leinster. So uh, we've plenty of meaty stuff to actually talk about this week. Yeah, so we're going to get stuck into the Leinster Championship, the Ulster Championship and the Connacht Championship. And of course, probably the game of the weekend, which is the opening round of this year's Munster Senior Hurling Championship. Former Tip Captain Reds O'Grady is actually going to join us later in the podcast. We're also going to take you into the cauldron of controversy as well. We've gone a little more modern, albeit still nearly 30 30 years ago, um, back to 1987 when uh, Cork and Dublin met. And we won't give any more details on that. Well, something's happened recently that ties it all together. Followers of Club Football and Derry will uh, have an inkling now as to what we might be discussing later in the podcast. And as usual, we will be... Going through all of the big stories of the week, because there have been a few. That's where we're going to start. And you want to start with... The news that Matt Fitzpatrick will be available for Antrim after all when they take on Donegal in the Ulster Senior Football Championship quarterfinal this weekend. A 48-week ban he had been originally given. He went to the very high echelons of legal expertise in the country trying to help him get himself off the suspension and be able to participate this weekend. So he brought in whoever than Joe Brawley. Sure, why wouldn't you? But it's been a week of, um, you know, of appeals. Jason Ford failed with his appeal to be uh, free for, to play for tip on Sunday. Matt Fitzpatrick to go from a 48-week ban to being able to play on Sunday. So, like, what happened was... Yeah, give the backstory yeah. to those who weren't familiar with it. So there was an alleged striking action in a game against an, um, Armagh on the 25th of March. And that's the first thing. How, why is it taking so long to resolve this thing? Anyway, so a still was sent in, an image into the county board. He was identified, then he appealed it, then there was um, a video sent in which the Armagh, our Antrim manager said he wouldn't have been able to identify uh, Fitzpatrick from the video. And uh, eventually, Brawley is brought on board and he helps get him off. And you have to say, the tweets from Brawley late on Wednesday night were fairly tasty. It was a uh, Matt Fitzpatrick appeal upheld by CAC just now, decision quashed, free to play on Sunday, the law will set you free. And then a follow-up, I can reveal that the case versus Matt Fitzpatrick was thrown out on the well-known legal basis that it was complete bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That kind of uh, that kind of tells you all you need to know about the GA lawmakers and and what players are put through. It's just unnecessary rigmarole. I mean, we're talking yeah. about the guts of two months that this has been dragging on. So you wonder. I mean, it wasn't a great league for Antrim, and they are obviously overwhelming underdogs heading into this game mm. with Donegal. You wonder what kind of a distraction it was. And my mind goes back to last season when Dermot Connolly was it last season? It was the semi final the previous season, wasn't it? When there was the incident involving Lee Keegan where he was yeah. sent off in the drawn semi-final yeah. and then somehow managed to get himself off the hook with um, some bit of legal wrangling and got away with a technicality and he was able to play in the final in the semi-final replay but he certainly wasn't the Dermot Connolly in terms no. of his effectiveness that or influence on the game that you would have expected. He barely slept the night before the game and I wonder was that a distraction to Dublin that day that he'd go on to win the game. Dermot Connolly is equally as important to Dublin as Matt Fitzpatrick probably is to Antrim and Antrim need all the bodies on board that they can get. Well there you go especially against Tony Gall and um, you can imagine And it is only Thursday as well so I mean they've time to get this issue out of their system and get themselves prepped. Well that's true but like has his routine for the week been uh, disturbed? You know he would have been down to Croke Park and back and it's a fair way to Antrim you know, does that disrupt his sleep pattern? Does it disrupt his eating pattern? Whatever it is, even just the negative energy involved, that's the last thing you want the week of championship. And the, f- the fact that it dragged on from all the way back from March 25th to now, it's just nonsense. 
Yeah. Really, like this thing should surely be over in the space of a week. Well, that, whatever about back. whether it was a distraction to his routine, the fact that it's taken this long to be resolved. Um, it's, now, there is an awful lot of cases that the CAC have to get through. Mm. Like, I can't imagine. We talk about Matt Fitzpatrick having to head down to Dublin, a long way up from the Glens of Antrim, and it takes up an awful lot of time. But all these people up in Croke Park are volunteers as well. And there's guys who are there till midnight, one o'clock, two in the morning, sometimes, depending on the cases and the urgency of the cases. They've got places to be as well. And they're up probably hearing cases that they don't wish to be involved in as well. So I think that you can look at it from the two sides. Another story, we talked about Kieran Bergen on the podcast last week. He has um, decided that he no longer... W- well, maybe doesn't see a future for himself in the immediate future yeah. with the hurlers. So he's now declared for the Tipperary football panel, which is great for them. And they are obviously an up and coming panel. And we've had a little bit of a code change in Dublin as well. And it's not one that you would expect. Yeah, well, it's, I suppose it's one that I'm a player I'm familiar with, Mark Shute, a club mate of mine. He's, um, he's actually in with the Dublin footballers now. And he would have played under Jim Gavin at under 21 level, won in All-Ireland with him in 2012. So, and he's an exceptional footballer. He's played the two opening rounds of the Dublin Club Championship with Kula, uh, and he's been apparently very good. I actually didn't make either games because of work. Is he, he a better hurler than footballer? Uh, I would I would say there is probably isn't much in the difference. Really? I'd say probably slightly better hurler, but that's just my own opinion. He might say, what, what are you talking about? But he's an exceptional athlete, and he's a really driven person. You know, it mightn't look like it from the outside. I have no idea how other people perceive him. But he is an exceptionally disciplined person. Diet is right. He's all about the lifestyle of a GA player. So I would imagine it's like imagine any other county being able to bring in someone of that stature. He's probably the top two or three forwards in the whole of Dublin hurling, and then you're able to bring him into the football panel. And um, will he likely play in a similar way with the footballers? Is he an out and out attacker? Well, when he was with Jim Gavin with the under twenty ones, he was played at wing forward. Now I'm not a hundred percent sure if that'll be his role, but. If you look at the likes of uh, Jim McConnelly, he's 29. Paul Flynn is probably 30, I think. So there might might be a case that he could be brought in there for 20 minutes mm. of games late on. Well, they didn't ex- they didn't uncover any hidden gems during the league, Dublin. And inevitably, when they were involved in those games where they had to pull something out of the fire in the last quarter, it was the old heads, the old stagers, the veteran All-Ireland winners that they turned to. Mm. Niall, McHugh, or Con- Niall Scully and Conor McHugh had good leagues. Do you think they're going to have an impact in the championship? I'd have my doubts, but it remains to be seen. They're all obviously talented footballers. Maybe someone like Mark Schutte is the cost, Comer Costello of the Dublin 2008-17 championship season. He could be the guy that, in an All-Ireland semi-final, just gets his run, gets his chance. Jim Gavin just says, maybe this is your moment. Yeah, well, when you look at the likes of Mayo, after 50 minutes, when they need to bring someone in, they don't really have someone mm. to bring in. Whereas if you're against Dublin and they bring on you know, let's say on occasion it's Cormac Costello or it's Bernard Brogan or, or Paddy Mannion. Andrews. Mannion. McManaman. You know, I would see Marcus in that vein of Mannion, that he'd come, come on, run at you. And like when that guy's running at you, he is very, very hard to stop. He's so, like, he's faster than you, he's stronger than you, he's taller than you. So as long as he gets his football level up to inter-county straight away, I know Tomas Brady went from the hurlers to the footballers and, you know, he had an, a cruciate in there, so that probably didn't help. But if Mark can get his football up to the right level, he's definitely a threat. He's definitely, a, like, there's a lot of value to him. Speaking of the dreaded C-word, I think the heart of every single GA fan in the country would have sunk when the news broke in the last 48 hours that mm-hmm. Emma Mulligan has torn his cruciate for the third time. He's now in Colm O'Neill territory, and he sent quite a stark tweet in the aftermath of it saying that he's now torn his cruciate more often than he has picked up winner's medals while playing for Leitrim in his career. Like he's going to have to go through all of this rehab again. It's happened just at a horrendous time. Like if you're, if there's a time to tear your cruciate, it's probably September, October time. So you can get back maybe for the championship but to put all the preseason in, play a decent league campaign, getting ready for this game with London in the Connacht semi-final or the, and the Connacht quarter-final and it's gone again. Yeah, it's well, just heartbreak. And the thing is, he is the only player on that county team that everyone in the country knows he is the Lewis Suarez of their team and I'm not just saying it because he happens to be his doppelganger but without him in the team it almost feels like there isn't a massive reason to watch Leitrim at all they're going to be against London probably no one's really going to pay well, certainly London now will have it. perked themselves up having heard this news uh, they will of course I mean their chances of winning this game are significantly enhanced yeah and they would have had a good chance anyway so when they got to the Leinster final a couple of years ago sorry the Connacht final a couple of years ago they would have gone through Leitrim on yeah, the way yeah they beat Leitrim on the way yeah, yeah. so uh, it's just sad. it's sad for Emlyn more so than anything else but I mean 
it, it's tough because co- counties like Leitrim, they don't have a whole lot you know, going from in terms of what their prospects are for the year. But one of the things is, I'll go and I'll watch Emlyn Mulligan clip over mm. a couple of lovely points and they don't even have that now. Yeah, he's gone now. Our, our, when I condolence probably isn't the right word, but the best look if you're listening, Emlyn, with your recovery and we'll hope that you'll see you back in a championship field in, in the very near future. There was a, a hint of controversy last weekend when we heard... Michael Ryan, the Westmead hurling manager, speaking to Ushin Langan after they had just scraped through and got themselves into the quarterfinals of the Leinster Hurling Championship. The draw was then kind to them and they're playing awfully. They have a great chance of getting to a provincial semi-final, which a few years back would have been unheard of for Westmead senior hurlers. But he had the presence of mind to acknowledge that there but for the grace of God go I. It could very much have been his team that have no more hurling to play in 2017 and we're only in the middle of May. And unfortunately, that is the situation that the Kerry and Meath hurlers find themselves in. Carrier finished. Meath have been relegated back to the Christie Ring Cup and they will not return to collective training probably until the late autumn and they will not play a competitive fixture again until the spring and we're only in May. And you just wonder how the system can allow this to happen and how can these teams possibly drag themselves up a notch or two in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, there's a real taste of let's get these boys out of the way and get the real hurling going because, you know, we're going to talk about Tipperary Cork and that's going to be the start of the summer whereas some of these guys are already done. Like, the big problem is actually the longer-term effect here. Like, if you consider over a five-year period, um, let's say Meath might train for six months per year because, you know, they're done at this stage and they probably started just before Christmas. The likes of Tip, Kilkenny, Waterford, they'll probably go until August or September from the start of the year. So they're training nine months a year. So over a course of five years, Tipperary would have travelled or trained together for 45 months, whereas Meath, Westmead, Kerry, they might train for 30 so you've actually got an extra 50% of collective training for the stronger counties. So of course they're going to be better. That means 50% more S&C, 50% more working on game plan, analysis, whatever it's going to be. So you're going to be able to keep your players more conditioned and more focused as well. Okay, I get so, I get all that. Yeah. But these games have to be played at some stage. The round robin stage of the Leinster Hurling Championship has to be played before the Leinster Championship proper begins because that's just the nature of it. It is a preliminary round-robin stage that has to be negotiated before you can take on the bigger boys in the province. So what's the solution here? Is it that the second, third and fourth tier championships should be started later in the season so that they're run concurrently with the All-Ireland Senior Championship, with the Lee McCarthy Championship? What, I mean, what, what would you be putting forward as a, a situation where you can put, make the lot of Kerry and me the bit... Well, a bit com- more palatable. It comes back to the same old thing. You have to fix the fixtures holistically. You know, you've got to play off the provinces in the space of a month, then an open draw, two groups of six or seven, and then your tiered comp- competitions beneath it. Like, it just continues to mutate. I don't like the idea of this round-robin provincial. I think it's going to cheapen the provincial, which is already boring anyway. So we actually have a ludicrous situation where in 2018, if Antrim win the Christie Ring Cup, you will have all four provinces competing in Leinster. How stupid is that? And a five-team Munster Hurling Championship. I can't understand why a change wasn't made to put Kerry into the Munster Championship. Like, what is the point? And now they're the now that particularly now so that they're going to this group stage mm. in the Munster Championship. Surely Kerry should now be in there because they will get to play at least one other game. Yeah, I mean, obviously the GA decides that. Kerry are not going to be competitive there and that, that is fair like they probably won't be competitive and they'll be hockey and they haven't made games. it out of this group stage in Leinster yeah they haven't now like it was on score and difference and what have you so they weren't a million miles away and a lot of their a lot of their performances this year were quite encouraging so they look like they're making progress under Fintan O'Connor who was with Derek McGrath in Waterford for a couple of years I think he's kind of put in a bit of a defensive structure there but you know, it's got to be the wholesale changes to the championship. You can't keep mutating and expecting it to get better because it just gets sillier and sillier every year. Four provinces in Leinster. How does yeah. that make any sense? Last uh, story before we move on to our preview of this weekend's senior football championship matches. The changes that we you've already mentioned, the, the, the mutation of the hurling championship for next season. We know that the Super 8s are coming into the football championship next year and really mm. that was just triggering what the hurling fraternity have managed to come up with. It was like a knee-jerk reaction in some ways to what was announced in the last few months by Croke Park that there will be the round-robin series once you get to the All-Ireland series of the quarterfinals and the championship next year. And you just did a little bit of analysis on the numbers and the number of games that certain teams will have to play. 
If a team is drawn on the preliminary round of the Ulster Championship, which gets underway this weekend because we know that Monaghan will be playing for Manor in that dreaded round, which mm-hmm. forces a team like Monaghan to win four matches just to win, to lift the anglo Cell Cup, they, if, they, if they were to win Ulster and reach an All-Ireland semi-final, they'd have to win their first four games and then pick up a win in the following three. But if they lose that preliminary round game, they have to win four straight qualifier games to play another three. And the upshot of all that is you could potentially lose three times Mm-hmm. and still win the All-Ireland. Yeah, and people say, how will you lose three times? Well, you'll lose in, in your province, and then you could actually lose twice in the Super 8 and still get through, because just look at how Westmead have made a quarter-final uh, through the Leinster preliminary. They lost their first two games, won the third, and they've gotten through on points difference, where three teams have two points. So that could happen as well. And again, it's just silly. Why are we continuing with these mutations? It's just time for So you disagree with the Super 8, you disagree with the group stages in the hurling championships. Yeah. You don't want to see anything other than the blueprint being just ripped asunder and started from scratch. Yeah, and you can, you can if you're a traditionalist and you want to keep the provinces, I'm fine with that. Just play it off in a month. What, what's the issue with that? It would actually give it momentum and make it more exciting. Whereas... Uh, well, I would say that if you're a team that loses twice in the group stage of the Super 8s, if you're fluky enough to manage to get through on points difference, there's no way you're winning on All-Ireland. Yeah, but... If you're not good enough to win twice in that group, you're not getting to an All-Ireland final. You'll be beaten in the semis. What happened at Euro 92? Denmark didn't qualify and ended up uh, getting a wild card into the tournament and winning it anyway. I mean, you don't always necessarily have to be playing well throughout to then. Yeah, but go if Denmark had lost two of their three group stage games once they actually did get into the tournament, they wouldn't have gone on to win it. Mm. Ah, well, look, it was a flippant enough point, but all the same, <coughs> my, my whole thing is even if you're right and no team ever does lose two games in a group and get through, it's still not a system that fixes everything. Because Well, I don't. There's no one in Croke Park claiming that it fixes everything, though. But why not go and find something that does or gets closer? Because, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not actually playing devil's advocate here. I can see where GA are coming from in some respects because they know that a whole-scale, wholesale surgery on the format of the, the championship structure, it will never get through. But that's such so negative So it's done thinking. piecemeal. But we've seen it historically. That's what we're being told by Congress, okay. successive Congresses in the GA. You moved. would think we've moved on. But if, you're, if you think that the GA trying to ram right through a massive overhaul of the championship structure, that it will get there, I think Porig Duffy has decided that these things have to be done bit by bit. Yeah, and I can, I can see that. that drip, he's just, drip. Yeah, he's just trying to basically mutate the provinces until everyone goes okay these are pointless let's let's change it a bit more fully because but if you they are the, pointless and yet yeah. we still haven't scrapped but them. if you could get the CPA the GPA Croke Park and whatever other stakeholders into the one room at the one time and stay in there that will happen but like if they could do it now rather than well, waiting they should have done it 10 years ago yeah but, but if they do it now because like you see all the pl- the two players groups have vote, both voted to say we need to change this and we need to fix the fixtures and the clubs and the weaker counties whatever way you want to look at it it needs to be changed. If they were able to get into a room and sort out the Good Friday Agreement, they could sort this out. Yeah, well, okay, well that's, it. that's a fair point. Um, that's the stories of the week. Next up, we're going to preview all of the games in the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship. This weekend, we're focusing on Connacht, Ulster and Leinster. Okay, we're going to start in Ulster, Shane. It's um, the weekly GA podcast here on Off the Ball. It's with thanks to Borgosh Energy, our sponsors of GA and News Talk, giving customers exclusive access to the GA Hurling All Ireland Senior Championships at bgerewards.ie. Let's start with Ulster and the preliminary round. It's a Monaghan clash with Fermanagh. They don't actually meet too often in the Ulster Senior Football Championship, but it's a chance for Malachi O'Rourke to reacquaint himself with his own county. It looks like it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion and that Monaghan should already be sharpening their knives for a meeting with Cavan in the quarterfinal. It's comfortably the handier side of the draw. I was at Sky Sports at GA launch in Croke Park on Tuesday and Peter Canavan tipped Monaghan to win the Ulster Championship. You would expect them to be set, setting themselves up for a crack at Cavan in the quarters. No disrespect to Fermanagh, but they have not kicked on from the progress they made under Pete McGrath in the previous two seasons. Mm. And Peter Canavan has been involved with Fermanagh in the past, so he knows the, the quality of player he's dealing with there. What are the plus sides for Fermanagh? They've got Tomás Corrigan and Sean Quigley up front, and Quigley's great on the freeze, actually all dead balls. So there's a real positive there. Um, but like they finished bottom of Division 2, scored just one goal, let in 12. I think I was looking at the score differential. It's like the fourth worst in all four divisions. Um, 
yeah, it's very hard to see where they could do this. But then again, they played Mayo in a qualifier last year and should have beat them only for a, an incorrect decision on an Aidan O'Shea penalty. And they were quite competitive with Dublin a couple of years ago in a quarter final, albeit it turned into a bit of a charade yeah. by the end. So I'm scratching around trying to think of reasons why um, Fermanagh can do this. But let's be honest, they really can't because Conor McManus, Jack McCarran, Gavin Dugan looks like a you know typical wing forward these days. He was really good in the league. Kieran Hughes, Carl O'Connell, the Wileys, Colin Walsh. The quality is far stronger. Yeah, it's very difficult to paint a picture of a Fermanagh victory here. And if they do manage to keep Quigley quiet, I mean, that's probably it. On yeah. the other hand, if you manage to keep Conor McManus quiet, you've gone an awful long way to stifling Monaghan. But their overall quality, the likes of Kieran Hughes, I know his mm. brother Darren is out. They they have so much experience as well at the back with the uh, Wileys and Walsh and Began in goal. They just have an awful lot of quality that have won a couple of Ulster Championships, that have played in All-Ireland quarterfinals, mm. that have played in Croke Park. Drew Wiley against uh, Shawnee Quigley should be quite interesting. I presume that'll be the matchup, so that'll be a fairly yeah. physical one. Um, the other thing is obviously Monaghan have played in before last year. They won two of the previous Ulster finals, two of the previous three Ulster finals. So they've got that experience, that know-how that perhaps Fermanagh, who've never won an Ulster title, won't have. It's such an incentive for Fermanagh, though, isn't it? Because they will fancy their chances of beating Cavan. Yeah. In, a, in a, an Ulster quarter-final, if they could somehow get through this fixture. And they have shown in the qualifiers last year against Mayo with the, that controversial penalty decision that went Aidan O'Shea's way when I mean, they probably should have won that game, albeit they had to try and manage that win in the second half. Pete McGrath has seen them get to an All-Ireland quarter-final where they certainly didn't disgrace themselves against Dublin that day without ever looking like they were going to threaten to win the game. And they have decent quality in their team. McGrath has definitely brought them on. I love listening to him because he's got the enthusiasm for the mm-hmm. game that he had when he was managing down to winning All-Ireland titles. This just might be a step too far. And you know what? Fermanagh have proven many times over the last 15, 16 years that the qualifiers are the place for them. They've taken down some big fish in the qualifiers. And maybe that's where they'll actually be able to exploit any weaknesses inside in and around their level this time around as well. The only like the big worry for Monaghan is if they're not winning the game with twenty minutes to go, they don't have a whole pile on the bench. We saw that against Dublin. Well, this is the story with Monaghan when we're looking at them as regards to the big picture. Yeah, where will they improve on twenty seventeen, on twenty sixteen, and, and the previous seasons? Maybe that's the hope for for Mana as well that they can keep it tight for the first Dog fifteen minutes, and maybe Monaghan don't have a whole lot off the bench. They've scored very little from the bench as well. The only thing is, can they get up to the same intensity level that Dublin got up, or sorry, Monaghan got up to against Dublin? Very hard to see that happening because while we might say Fermanagh went close against Dublin a few years ago, realistically, Dublin had the game well won, and then it was a bit of a pantomime with Sean Quigley pushing Stephen Cluxton into the goal, and mm. you know it was an element of this isn't this is a bit of a training match type job. Well, you knew it was over long yeah, before it was yeah, over. Yeah. If you get, I mean, sixty-six to one they are to win Ulster. Of course, they're the only side never to have won the Ulster Championship I think themselves and Whitlow are the only sides never mm. to have lifted a provincial championship and, and uh, if some people get their way in the provincial championship they're scrapped they may never get an opportunity please God we'll always go back to 2008 was it or was it 2010 Ulster Championship the exact year escapes me maybe it was 08 uh, against when Armagh. they brought Armagh to a replay yeah. when we really should have won the drawing game I think game. it was 08 it was a real was disappointment 08, yeah. and of course got to an All-Ireland semi-final in 2004 when they were beaten by a Mahan-managed Mayo. The other game in Ulster this weekend is Donegal-Antrim. Again, you're looking at a side that acquitted themselves really well in Division 1 of the Alliance Football League against an Antrim side that struggled in Division 3, never really looked like they were going to get promoted and are struggling with issues on and off the field as they often are. Mm. A refreshed Donegal side. This was uh, Rory Gallagher, the Donegal manager, just talking about how his side are in terms of conditioning and physicality in regard in comparison to last year. From my point of view, I've enjoyed the, the coaching end of it a lot more this year. You know, we, we have... Uh, you know, had a I suppose manage a situation for a couple of years with players with wear and tear in their bodies, players with you know other commitments, players at a certain age. That's moved on. We've uh, as a group, as I said, we shared the workload equally. Every man has put their shoulder to the wheel, young and old, and we're really looking forward to it. They're in decent shape, Donegal, and they feel very good about themselves at the moment. Sure, why wouldn't they? They've got like marquee attackers. They have Paddy McBrearty there. They have Michael Murphy, even if they don't use him inside. I have to say, that's one of the big things that I'd have to question about Donegal. And it's it's long been the question. Can they afford to keep him out midfield? People say, can they afford to keep him inside? 
But you know, I mean, scores are what win your games, and if if your best attacker is playing out midfield, I think it's a bit of a negative. You know, with the likes of Monaghan, they can afford to keep Conor McManus inside, Jack McCarran inside, because they've got the Hugheses. I mean, ideally, they'd probably want Kieran Hughes inside as well. But with Donegal, I do think it's a fatal flaw that they have to keep Murphy outside. If you were Donegal, would you not like to try and find a way to keep him near the square? Look, we, how often have we had this argument over the years? We know the situation with Michael Murphy that you probably need more than one of them. He's one of the best finishers around. I would love to see just a Michael Murphy playing full forward, but maybe it's wishful thinking that even if he was put into that position where he's on the edge of the square, where he's winning ball, laying off ball, turning and scoring like he did that brilliant goal against Mayo in 2012, that he would never get the chance to perform like that. Because yeah. if Michael Murphy's on the edge of the square, he's going to have two, if not three guys surrounding him, breaking the ball up, knocking it down, and you'll have a whole posse of defenders slash wing forwards in the area to try and hoover up that breaking ball. And Michael Murphy will just end up being stifled for a 15-20 minute period. And you'll have the people in the Donegal crowd roaring at Rory Gallagher to bring him back out so he can be more influential. Yeah, but you could have him centre forward, you could have him wing forward. I'd just like to see him closer to the goal because when I was watching league games this year, I'm seeing him standing on his own 45. And he's just kind of shuffling over and back and uh, defending an awful lot. I don't want to see Michael Murphy defending. I'd like to see him defending from the front. But he's the guy you want with the ball in his hands 40 metres from goal and, and anywhere closer. Paddy McBriarty the same. And if you're talking about being surrounded by defenders, yeah, that's fair enough, he will be. But I'd rather him surrounded by defenders trying to burst through than a player that is not of the same calibre. Well, he's got it all because he can play make as well. He's got a brilliant passing range. He's physical. He can knock guys off the ball. He can win tackles. He can win the ball back for his team. He can claim high balls in midfield. That's his problem is that he's so multi-talented. And maybe the best years of his career are gone in terms of him being an elite inside forward. Perhaps, and maybe it's just down to Donegal don't fully trust what's out in the middle of the field yeah. at the moment. And they have lost an awful lot from that. They've lost Kavanagh, they've lost Gallagher, mm. they've lost McNeilish, they've lost Anthony Thompson who would have picked up an awful lot of breaking ball and yeah. around the middle of the field over the years. So you can understand why Rory Gallagher wants somebody as experienced as Michael Murphy. Outrageously, I think it's his 11th season. Yeah, no, a Donegal yeah, footballer. He's only crazy. 27 years old. But... They, they could just do with a couple of them. Yeah, well, hopefully now with all these young players that we're hearing are amazing, you know, like Sakiran Thompson and what have you, hopefully these guys have got a, the energy that's required out around the middle of the field to win the ball so that you can afford to have Murphy inside. Because for Murphy to be at his most devastating, your team has got to be on the front foot out in the middle of the field. You know, you've got to win that mid-late battle, if you want to call it that, and get the ball into him on the front foot because, you know, who'd want to be a full-back with him in, a, in any sort of a one-on-one or even two-on-one situation? Well, they're going to beat Antrim, aren't they? It's just a question of by how much. You'd, you'd imagine so. I mean, and then they're going to set up that juicy tie with Tyrone. In, uh, in, well, I'm assuming Tyrone get themselves past the, the dairy test. You'd imagine so. And then they'll be boxing the heads off each other. And that and will they? be something to look forward to. All of the negativity surrounding last season's Ulster final. Mm. I found it fascinating. And I found the last second half in particular just brilliant to watch and the last 10 minutes obviously when it caught fire and Donegal kicked a couple of great points Ryan McHugh got himself on the game and Tyrone had the wherewithal to pick up the scores they needed to win it in the end it was one of the best games of the championship for me and the place was claustrophobic Clownus on Ulster final day the stone was split in the stones it was brilliant I thought it was brutal <laughs> <laughs> for for like 50, 50 minutes and then it was amazing it was like I, I'm not sure if you were at it, but Kildare, Donegal in 2011, that All-Ireland quarter final, I believe it was. And this was like Jim McGuinness's first year. And it was a classic that went to extra time. And uh, Murphy and won a brilliant ball for Kevin Cassidy mm. to kick that famous Off winner. Off his left foot. Yeah, <laughs> but that was an absolutely septic game for 55 minutes. But then the rest of it was incredible. All of extra time was incredible, the last 15 minutes of the game. And I th- that's the way I'd look at that Ulster final last year, that the last... 10 minutes were absorbing and some of the greatest scores of all time like Sean Cavanagh's long range score and then Peter Hart's wonderful uh, mm. shot so I found the entire game did you, yeah. absorbing but, but maybe I, I'm, I'd be more steeped in Ulster football than you would be I've been going and up up there and watching it since I was like 5 years old yeah. which, which uh, county are you claiming these days? I, I only claim 2 right it's not like a whole multitude of counties right okay our off the ball listeners will know that I'm a dub but that my entire family, both sides, are from Cavan. And do you expect me to just turn my back on my heritage and my roots? Is that what you want me to do? Uh, no. Well no. then, why question me in such a leading manner so? Because it's fun to poke. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, we're going to move on to the Leinster Championship. Obviously, we've gone for wins for Donegal and for Monaghan there. Um, they will have stiffer tests ahead, no doubt about it. Longford Leash. This is two counties who are going slightly different directions. Longford didn't win promotion or anything in the league, but they were reasonably solid. Their biggest moment in the last 12 months was going up to Clonus and beating Monaghan in a qualifier. Hmm. Well, what can you say about Leash? I mean, they are just a shambles. Yeah, they're plummeting, I suppose. Like the, you could see they were trying something different this year. Peter Creedon is, was putting... Obviously, you're going to leave the main man in full forward. Um, what's the toss? Donny Kingston. Donny Kingston, yeah, his name escaped me for a second. And John O'Loughlin was in there beside him. So it's a pretty obvious approach. These are two guys who are going to win their own ball and throw it over the bar or bundle through for goals. Um, I, th- I think Longford, they're always capable of a big win, to be fair to them. And, and I know they won't fear Leash. No, why would they? In any way. Why would they? And they tend to play, have classy footballers. Maybe they're not physically as powerful as other counties. They are a small county. They have a smaller pick. And when you see the likes of um, Francis McGee isn't involved anymore, Brian Kavanagh isn't involved anymore, they don't have that depth that they'd want. But what they have done in recent years, I know Monaghan last year, that was the six-day turnaround. So, I mean, yeah. you have to put a bit of you an asterisk You still have to believe to go, after and you're, to go after the win and do it. Put yourself... The only reason why the six-day turnaround really became an issue for Monaghan is because Longford were still in the game with 10 minutes remaining. Yeah. And Longford had... It, that's all about Longford doing enough to keep themselves in the game. And then realising Monaghan are tiring here, mentally a bit fragile, and they went out and they did it. They got it done then. Yeah, Longford have a history of doing it too because Mayo they beat in 2010, yeah. Derry in 2012 and 2014, and down last year as well. The thing for Longford is, incredibly, they haven't made a Leinster semi-final since 1988. Isn't that an incredible yeah. stat? You know, whereas in Munster, you're drawn in a semi-final, <laughs> you know, or in Connacht, you have to beat Leitrim or London to get to a semi-final or maybe even a final. Uh, Longford, it's almost 30 years since a semi-final, which is quite incredible. How well, obviously, they'll have to win another game after this just to get to a semi-final, mm, but yeah. the the fact that it's on Moor Park wouldn't bother me. Like, I I would give Antrim no chance going to Bella Buffet and I don't really give Fermanagh a chance going to Clonus at the weekend, but... It's on War Park, which will not be remotely close to being full. It's mm. not like they're walking into a, a cauldron of hostility at a War Park. No, not many people are turning up to watch the Leeds senior footballers play in Championship anymore. But I would throw in one caveat: Westmead might be an inspiration for Leash. This is a Westmead team that just su- suffered three successive relegations mm. and still managed to get themselves to back-to-back Leinster football finals in the process of going down the three divisions from Division 1. So just because they have been relegated in a couple of seasons and have gone to Division 4, a place where leash football should never be, doesn't necessarily mean they can't make a run at the championship and pick up a couple of wins. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. And Peter Creedon, when he was in charge of Tipperary as well, he had some excellent results in the championship. So I wouldn't put it beyond them. It's a flip of a coin, this one, really. I mean, like Leash have absolutely been terrible in the league, but you still wouldn't back them because the quality of player they have is actually pretty good, to be fair. And uh, Longford, again, as I said, not a particularly deep panel, but you know there'll probably be a flip of a coin in it, really, a point or two either way. Parnell Park is the venue for... You're going for Longford there, are you? Yeah, I'll just about go for Longford. Yeah, I think likewise myself, but it actually wouldn't surprise me if Leash, because no. I think they have the quality to win the game. Whether or not they should actually be winning display their qualities. Yeah, they should be winning this That's game. That's the big really. issue. Um, Wicklow is at Parnell Park at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. You have to look at a loud team that are just pulling up trees and are now a Division Two side up yeah. against a Wicklow team that yet again have not come remotely close to getting themselves out of the uh, the league basement. Yeah, uh, the thing with um, Loud is that it's interesting. We were talking last week about players heading off for the summer and why they wouldn't wouldn't. Their main man, like the loud senior footballer of the year for 2016, is Derek Maguire. He's heading off to America for the summer. So that's a huge blow. And their midfielder, Andy McDonald, who's been, who's been really good, he's out with a knee operation as well. At the same time, it's not as if they're up against a heavy hitter, so you'd imagine that they'll be going past Wicklow anyway. Yeah, I heard Johnny McGee speaking on the evening that Sligo beat New York in the championship a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about Wicklow's chances, saying that they were training really well and they were 100% committed, and I have absolutely no doubt that's the case. And mm-hmm. Wicklow always give you something for a few minutes, but I'd be amazed if they were able to trouble out. Maybe if it was down in Ockram, Fortress Ockram, mm. where Wicklow rarely ever win anymore, that there'd be a chance they could do it. Wicklow have some decent footballers. They've got a really uh, enthusiastic, committed management team, but they're up against a side that are going places. Yeah, I mean, Louth have got Park Smith, 
who's a great playmaker. And Ryan Burns is one of the top scorers in the Ryan league Burn. across and all four divisions. Yeah, and Wicklow just don't have that quality of player. So in Parnell Park, you'd imagine that Loud will win that game. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to see. Uh, it would be one of the upsets of the championship if, if Wicklow were to win that. And uh, one more match in the Leinster Football Championship, Carlo against Wexford. It's in Dr. Cullen Park. The incentive for the winners of this yeah. is a meeting with the All-Ireland Champions. That This game is at 3 o'clock on Sunday as well. Of all the games this weekend, is it a stretch to say this is the most difficult to call? Maybe Longford Leash is the most difficult to call. But Wexford, while getting promoted, are still just a Division 4 side as regards 2017 goes. Yeah. I mean, uh, they are two Division 4 teams. They are, yeah. It's, it's hard to get enthusiastic about this game either. <laughs> Because it always comes back to, you know, when you talk about Carlo, you talk about Brendan Murphy. Whereas with with Wexford, you can talk about Ben Brosnan, you can talk about Kieran Link. They do have a bit more quality. And you'd imagine with Seamus Banty McEnany there this year as well, he'll get a kick out of him in the first year. So you'd, I would imagine that Wexford will be winning this game. But it's not one where, I mean, the idea of having to play Dublin next, you know, don't... It'll like, still be an, an occasion, though, if they get past Carlo. It's down at Wexford Park on a sunny, you would hope, Saturday evening. And there's real enthusiasm around Wexford at the moment because they, all, in all likelihood, their hurlers will be facing Kilkenny at the same venue the following week. You would hope, again, it'll be a really big crowd. We saw the crowds that the dubs draw in the league. I mean, they played Cavan in the opening week and they had 16,500, 17,000 people in Breffley Park. You would have hoped that that would be the case, that the people will come out to see the All-Ireland Champions playing outside mm-hmm. of Croke Park, outside of the comfort zone. And albeit Wexford having a one-in-a-million chance of actually beating them, beating Carlo is still a real incentive. Facing Dublin in the next round is still an incentive. They shouldn't be worried about the possible trimming they're going to get in the next uh, round. Of course not, of course not. But like, And it's mad, it's only six years since Wexford probably should have beaten Dublin in a Leinster final. A lot of the same players are there, actually, or... Sorry, more so, a lot of the same players are being relied on, the likes of your Brosnans and Kieran, Kieran Ling, Ling and even PJ Banville. Yeah. So the, the problem is they haven't kicked on from there. They're still relying on the same old faces and, and what else has come through, and that's the problem. Yeah, nothing coming through. I mean, that's Wexford team that won the Leinster Under-21 Football Championship in 2011 and obviously played an All-Ireland semi-final, mm. beaten by Cavan. That team has only delivered, I think, two in terms of regular starting 15 players, and they're not doing anything at underage level. It's a tough one, and... Right now, it's the hurlers that are making all the ways down in that county. But you would expect it to be Carlo. It's a disaster for Banty if they lose to Carlo in the opening round of the championship. I'd say he'll be run out of Wexford if, if he doesn't win this he game won't. because, unfortunately, Carlo are down towards the very, very bottom of the basement. OK, that's Leinster and Ulster boxed off. There's one game in the Connacht Football Championship this weekend. Sligo, having beaten New York in the opening round, head to Castlebar to face Mayo. Um, the teams are in. The Sligo team, well, there's probably no real surprises. All of the old heads are in there. It's a hugely experienced Sligo team, probably as experienced a Sligo team that there's ever been. A couple of young players, but even the young guys, the likes of Owen McHugh and Kyle Cawley, have plenty of experience uh, under their belts as well. And as always, they're looking, hoping the likes of Adrian Marin, Mark Brehenny, um Charlie Harrison will be able to do the business for them. Yeah, I mean the thing. The funny thing is that Niall Crew was talking about all the players he was missing before the um, before the New York game, and he's named the same team. So whether that actually is the team that lines out remains to be seen. But they do have a lot of class on the field. You know, Brendan Egan's excellent there at centre back. Charlie Harrison has experience from over the years. He's always been very good. Pat Hughes is a great target man. So they, well, they did have all of those players, bar Charlie, who was out with the the cruciate ligament injury when they were destroyed by Mayo in the yeah, final. I was at that game. That was an absolute annihilation. The thing that I found that day is that uh, the goalkeeper was trying to clip out nice ball to the back line and they try and work it out and the ball was just being stripped off. Yeah. It was like men taking the... Physically, they are unable to compete with Mayo. They uh, were certainly on the evidence of that day. Yeah, and the idea that that would have changed in a couple of years, maybe it has, but it's unlikely. It's unlikely. So you'd, you'd be thinking, surely, Mayo, who have an interest in change themselves. The Mayo team shows 10 that started the All-Ireland final defeat to Dublin in last year's uh, October replay. It's um, Clark and goal, Barrett, Cafferkey's back in the team, which is a big uh, moment for, for him playing at fullback, having missed the entire 2016 campaign. Higgins is also a cornerback. The halfbacks are Boyle, Keegan and Durkin. No surprises there. Seamus O'Shane, Tom Parsons, midfield, a very familiar partnership. Fergal Bowling gets his chance to impress, having put in a couple of really good performances in the league at uh, wing forward. Dermot O'Connor starts at centre forward. Conor O'Shea gets a chance at wing forward. 
and Kevin McLaughlin, Killian O'Connor and Andy Moran are the inside forward line. Obviously, Kevin McLaughlin could pop up anywhere on the field. Yeah. But the big news is that there's no Aidan O'Shea. Yeah, it's interesting because he's been a lightning rod for an awful lot of criticism in the last couple of weeks. You know, that obviously Martin Brenny had a had a pop at him as well. And yeah, maybe it's kind of, let's take him out of the firing line for a while. We probably should beat Sligo no matter what. Why don't we give Conor O'Shea a chance, see what he's like, give Fergal Boland a go as well. You know, because they do need to develop a, a bit of a stronger panel. Because last year, once they had a couple of injuries in the final, the likes of Donny Vaughan, once Keegan went off with a black card, all of a sudden they were found a little bit wanting and they didn't have people to drive up through the centre. So they need someone like Fergal Boland to come in and show he is championship quality. Any chance of even a close game? Uh, there is always a chance. There's also a chance, by the way, that Aidan O'Shea will start. Yeah. Because, you know, th- this is kind of the usual thing. I mean, Jim, the way things go. Yeah, Jim Gavin often, a way of diffusing all the hype has been to just constantly name bogey teams. And it's the kind of game that Mayo just can't really win aside of actually winning the game but they hammer Sligo well they're expected to hammer Sligo a Sligo team that New York pushed for the best part of 55-60 minutes um, they win by a couple of points and the knives are out and everyone's starting to question whether Mayo are done whether they're over the hill and whether they have a, the capacity to really put Galway to the sword in the Connacht semi-final and obviously Galway will be keeping a very close eye on this game so really they just need to win probably a 4-5 or five point win with a couple of decent performances from the veterans and a couple of the younger guys like Boland and Conor O'Shea shining and they can go into the Galway game without an awful lot of attention on them Yeah because like last year they built slowly they were poor in uh, Connacht of course but then they limped past Fermanagh and then they beat... Uh, in other ways, the limp past Westmead as well, because Westmead hit yeah. back big time yeah. in the second half of that game at Croke Park and brought what was a massive deficit down to within four points at one stage. And then a little bit fortunate to get past Tyrone as well in the All-Ireland quarterfinal. Yeah. And Tipperary on another day with a bit more experience. Perhaps they could have gone a little bit yeah. closer. I, yeah, I think they certainly won't go, want to go through the provincial championship door this time around. I would imagine at this stage, because this Mayo team, a lot of them have been together for five or six years, it takes a big, or it takes a strong opposition to actually get them fired up. Because the team that limped past Tipperary and, and Fermanagh and so on last year, they were unrecognisable when they were in the All-Ireland final against Dublin. So maybe it's going to take a big team to get them going again. And because Galway beat them last year, now we'll assume that Mayo will get through this game, maybe we'll see something more like what Stephen Rochford expects from that team. Um, it's interesting, though, that they've kind of gone, the changes that they've made, they've kind of gone back to the same old in a way. Um, David Clark obviously was probably always going to start after how the All-Ireland final went last year. Chris Barrett, you know, he's been there and done it before. He's back into the team. Jerk Hafferke, he's, he's obviously yeah. had some injury issues. Well, they're missing Brendan Harrison, obviously, which is a big loss for yeah. him. Um, he's been a real find but the the point that I'm just trying to make is they've gone back to an awful lot of the players that we've seen time and again before so what's are, coming through yeah I mean Conor O'Shea has started can't say I've been blown away by him but he, he seems decent he's physically seems a strong athlete as well Fergal Boland there's a player that you'd hope to see something from you'd want to see something from Conor Loftus this year as well maybe he'll be thrown in at the start who knows but what you want to see from Mayo at this stage is not whether they win or lose because you'd expect they'd win this game mm. But have they found someone extra? Because that's the problem. Even during the league, much like the likes of Monaghan, they got almost no scores off the bench. And when they did, they were when Lee Keegan was coming back. And he came back and had a few scores. And obviously he's going to start when it matters. Yeah, and it's an interesting one even just to see how well May are playing. And Sligo have enough quality in their team to at least make a game of it. That game is this weekend as well. That's all the football previewed. Coming up, we are going to talk to former Tipperary hurling captain Reggie O'Grady as Cork take on tip in the Munster Hurling Championship this weekend. Undoubtedly the game of the weekend. Okay, time to preview the Hurland Fair this weekend. It's the Munster Hurling Championship and it is Tipperary taking Cork in the Munster quarterfinal. It's um, the All-Ireland Champion, Shane, against a side that we just maybe don't know what to make of because they flitted in and out of the league. They've had a terrible 2016 and on paper you're thinking Tipperary should be able to win this game comfortably but then you throw into the fact that uh, they suffered that beating against Galway in the uh, league final let's uh, bring in an- yet another voice it's the former tip captain Redzer O'Grady good afternoon sir how are you going Ed? the feeling down in tip I know Shane is uh, dipping his toe in and out of the Tipperary waters nowadays uh, living up here in Dublin but what's the atmosphere down there like at the moment what's the mood in the county since that defeat to Galway? 
Well, going the vibe on the street is 50-50. Like, it's, I think everything was hunky-dory up the Galway game. We were flying in the league. The media was building us up. The Sunday game was building us up. And this just one of them games, Galway blew us out of the water. And look, I was at the game. Everything went right for Galway. Every break that was going that day went right. Now, you can't cover over cracks either. Fair play to Galway, but Tipper's still a good team and you'd be, be harsh to write them off after one game. Like, Yeah, I mean, Red Star, the thing that, like the issue didn't, compared with last year, Cork tried the sweeper and, you know, William Egan was put as a sweeper, a seventh defender. That meant they had only five forwards up front. So Tipperary outnumbered them at that end and the likes of Paddy Maher and Ronan Maher, your club mates, they were able to stand out, stand up, pick up their ball, pin it into the corner and the likes of Bubbles and Callan, I think they got four points from play each. Whereas yeah, this, yeah. This, this year, Cork are going... I, I was watching them against Waterford. They had the two deep-lying wing forwards. They were isolating Conor Lahan at centre-forward, so he'll probably be on Ronan Maher, and his pace could cause trouble there. And then trying to isolate the three boys inside and put lovely low ball into them, and maybe high ones on top of Seamus Harnady. So if Tip don't win the middle-eight battle as they didn't against Galway, there could be a bit of trouble. Yeah, I was at the, the, the Tip Cork game below in Parky Ring, and that's exactly what they done. They brought their half-forward line out round to midfield, hoping the party and these guys would fall him out and Cadigan and Hoggy inside full forward their movement off the ball was unbelievable and Cadigan with Mark and Mickey Cal gave him the entire time they're, if they get in the right ball with the space in front of them there will be troubles there that's a, that's a, that's a given but that's what they're going to do I think Tipper are not going to follow out like they did against Galway I think the party Corona is going to keep, keep in the pocket this time I think it's a hard one to call I know that what they're doing now what they've done against Galway and it was the the they weren't poking the ball on top of Ronan or Parry and they're going to do that again I'd say Nash is going to be trying to avoid them but it's a hard one to call I think I, I think that that's what's going to, going to happen but I think that the, 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 the tip uh, backs won't be getting the space Yeah Would you be worried about Tipperary's team going into it you know Michael Cahill is, is a major doubt Donna Maher is, it looks like he's out so he won't be able to come into the team Jason Ford is suspended I'm not sure that he's positioned correctly when he's midfield anyway and Bonner yeah. Maher is not available either and Callanan's only coming back from a broken thumb Yeah the vibes are not good at the moment as regards to injuries I reckon it looks like John O'Keefe is going to get a start maybe it's up to him to take take his chance it looks like they're going to compromise now with probably putting Breen in the half hour line instead of Bonner and probably maybe Shawnee Curran that's what the talk is midfield but these lads are, these lads are training all year look why not give them the chance if a lad is injured it's up to the other lad to hold on to the jersey R- Tip have a good panel it's, up to the, it's just up to them boys now to take their chance now a shame it's his first game back look we'll be hoping Shaney clicks John, John McGrath bubbles these lads clicking the forward and we'll be halfway there Redzer do you think in somewhere in his mind that Michael Ryan would have been perfectly happy with what happened against Goy because similar to maybe what happened to Dublin in the league final against Kerry April is the time to suffer that kind of a defeat if you're going to get a wake up call you want it to happen then as opposed to maybe August or even into September and that quietly as he left the Gaelic rounds that day he might have been thinking this is exactly what we need to beat these players with in training ahead of this game of Cork I would agree and disagree because look he said at the start here he was out to win the league and he, he, he proved that but look it was a kick up the backside for him as well obviously but then you have to think that every other manager in Ireland with rubbing hands coming out of the Gaelic grounds and what to saw that how to be tip physicality you know so it's 50-50 but look it, it was a kick up the backside it happened in 2000 again against Cork when Cork beat us blow in Parky, Parky Creeve and we went on to win the Ireland but it's a hard one to say yeah, if, yeah, yeah I know is the answer to that one Renzer, like you mentioned that 2010 game against Cork when um, Tip were fancied going into the game and Cork ended up winning by 10 points. Like That's the only time in the last eight championship games that Cork have beaten Tipperary. Whereas before that, when you would have been on the team and you were captain in 2006, it was probably we were probably used to beatings in Tipperary from Cork at that stage. And I just want to kind of draw your mind back to then. Cork were going for the three in a row in All-Irelands. Tipperary looked like a bit of a shambles under, under Babs. Can you kind of contrast the team then versus the team now? Well, I would in the way that I say going on the the setup is way more professional now. Like as you know, we had Babs, John Lai, Tom Barry over the team. I think a complete shambles. Like in what sense? Uh, well, like so you had Babs there as manager, like dropping Owen Kelly, dropping Benjamin Cummins, taking off Larry Corbett after 15 minutes in another game. Maybe that was 2007, but. You know, you just players weren't hurling for Babs, and that was as simple as that. Like you know, yeah. In, in Larry's I, book, he talked about a time when there was a drill where 
Babs had you just kicking the ball along as if this is practicing for a ruck ball that you'd kick it out and you were kicking the ball for 10 minutes as he was up in the stand and forgot about you. Is, yeah. is, is that what was happening or was Larry being a bit harsh? That was before the Munster final. No, that was 100% I'd say Babs was up in the, in the, in the stand trying to organise tickets for himself. Like That's what the... <laughs> but the tra- training was a shambles that back then. Ask any of the players to tell you the same. We went down at the start of the year and Brendan Cummins took all the sessions and he was a player at the time down on the beach there and Clanier was one of the places. But training wasn't good but look we had some serious players back then Owen Kelly was flying us but look we just made a cock team a serious cock team the half back you know Halpine Kern the two of Connors midfield um, Jerry's midfield Tom Kenny with serious cock team but we could have bet the same day because if you look back Dermot Fitzgerald which another fellow that was a back that was playing our position missed two goal chances we could have snuck that one like to be fair to Babs, he's not here to defend himself and uh, for we don't know what he was doing up in the stand that day. For all we know, he was keeping a very close eye on you guys, Reds, right? but I know <laughs> that the attitude within the panel wasn't one of absolute harmony and unity. But maybe at the same time, it was a, a tip team and a squad that Babs inherited and when he looked at it, and this was his own personal opinion, and I guess as the manager, he's entitled to pick and drop whoever he wants, that yeah. he didn't think the guys he had available were good enough to beat that three-in-a-row chasing Cork team and it needed a couple of radical changes in his mind. Ultimately, they didn't pay off. And, you know, history is not on Bab's side when you look back yeah. on it. But I'm sure he had some reasons for, for doing the things that he did, albeit you would have found it difficult to find someone in the county that agreed with it. Well, sure, Bab's is old school. Look, you, 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 can't, you can't question he's a, he's a record irony. We watched tip out of Duldrum's Bear back in 87, 88, won two All-Irons. Holder the year in 1971. Two or three All-Irons with tip, but look, when he was over us, I was I was captain. I was enjoying it. I was liking it. I wasn't enjoying the trend. Things the setup wasn't overly good. But look, uh, ask any of the players. The Lord said it, but it just wasn't good enough. Like what? What actually? Like you, you ended up being dropped off the panel after the 06 Monster Final. What were the events as you recall them? What happened and what was the fallout and the discussions? So it's like that, it's like that, As you well know, after you and the All Ireland, we went for a couple of pints there on the Monday. After the All Ireland, lads were drinking in Canouty, lads were drinking in Bursley, lads were drinking in Turles. I was captain. I was the only one questioned. Mel, Michael Webster, well, were quite. I was questioned of it, but up to the honour, told me I was being dropped off the tip team after training all year. Look, it should have been handled different. They were lean, sheedy. These boys they would have went a different about it and kept indoors. We looked, that was Babs. Look, I was captain. I was disgusted, but I just had to get on with it. I actually felt more sorry for my mother than than myself, like a woman that was walking down the town couple of weeks before that with her, with her head held high her son is captain of tip and then to go down to town when you're living in Turles and her head, head, head held down you know it was tough on mm-hmm. her but look that, I was the one I was the one that got the, the raw deal I think anyone will tell you the players will tell you look we had John Lai as a selector a man known to trouble himself down through the years but they went about it all wrong you see Was it just a question of him trying to make an example of you um, Redzer thinking that maybe he didn't have the players on his side at the time and that he was showing that the book while stopping with him he was he was well able to take that kind of a stand and send a signal to the rest of the squad that he is the man in charge and no messing Well he, pro- he probably was trying to make a stand cock bears we should have bet them but I don't know lads were look I, I, it could have been handled differently it was now that it would have been handled differently and anyone would tell you that I was going well. I played well against Warford, played well against Limerick, played OK against Cock, was taken off. Ronan Curran probably got the better of me. But don't do that to a player. Don't, don't. I think it was 100% wrong, and then the players will tell you. And what it made it harder for as well, my best friend, Leo Carver, then had to go on and to captain tip for me above against Warford, which is a thing he didn't, want to, he didn't want to do, but he had to do it. It was tough on him, too. Do you, think that, do you think that the, the modern kind of the perception, by like let's say in the last couple of years, that Tipperary lost to Limerick in the Munster Championship in 2014. A few of the players went out and had a few drinks and it ended up in the Tipperary start. It was a big hubbub about players socialising and what have you. Do you think that after the experiences of 06 and 2014 that the Tipperary public is more patient with the team now and they're willing to give them a chance? Or do you think as soon as, like, if Tip lost to Cork now, it would be a trouble again? I don't know. I don't know, Shane. Look, as I said before, these boys are are, are, are professionals. They're not getting paid. That's right. They're, they're they're training six or seven nights a week. They're looked up as kids look up as heroes. But look, as you know, all teams go for a blowout after a match all over Ireland. But for some reason, when the boys go for a few pints in this town or in in Australia, there's people talking. Kilkenny does not a word. Up in the north, Donegal, these guys are allowed to go, but. I think the people in Turles and, and Tipperary had the wrong perception of it. Look, they stay in, I didn't see Paul Mayor. I haven't seen Paul Mayor, Ronan Mayor for six months. You'd see him at Christmas, all you see him, and then go for a few pints after a match. 
and everyone is talking again, so I don't know. But it was the same in 2010, wasn't it, when they were beating the Munster Championship and um, Babs, w- in particular, was quite vocal when speaking about Tipperary and the state that they found themselves in. They went on to win the All-Ireland and it does seem that it is a county that doesn't really give much allowance to its players and I, every count, as you say, Reza, I've seen the dubs in a pub in the day after a big game where they wouldn't have a, another game for two weeks and they're all out having a few pints. The, what is the point of playing together as a group if you can't celebrate a win or you can't mourn yeah. a victory together or a defeat together? Well, the, see, Babs, Babs always had the nice, the nice out after tip defeat because I'm going on about socialising because he doesn't socialise himself. John Lally, the same way, man, they used to socialise a good bit. Now he's reformed and he's had the nice house. John Coskin, all these fellas, are anti-drinkers so they just when they get when Tip are down they love to stick to boot and that's the way they are and just for the match itself uh, where do you see Tipperary kind of um, causing Cork trouble that, that full forward line I suppose of Bubbles, Callan and John McGrath would be expected to get the scores and outside them it looks like it's probably going to be Dan McCormick Michael Breen and Noel McGrath yeah well look it's like happening if, if, if they're the full forward I reckon you just get the, 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 the game plan just get the ball into the full, the full forward as quick as you can that's where we that's where we done did all the damage last year. Dan is a workhorse. He, he he does what Dan does. Look, I like Breen. I like Breen. He was our best player last year, bare the final. I like him midfield. But look, it looks like he, I I think he's going to be starting centre forward with Bomber's not there. So it's, it's hard to know. We have a good backline. It's just it's, it, I hope there's no. I don't think I can't see Cork bringing a sweeper role again this year. It backfired on him last year. I think it's going to be fifteen on fifteen, and I just think Tip have more fire firepower than Cork. Is there a worry within the county that Cork, being Cork, are always capable of just throwing a performance in there and and maybe catching a side that has its confidence dented a little bit? Normally, you would expect Tip to be a supremely confident side, full of self-belief. I just wonder how much it takes to actually knock the belief of this group of players. Well, I don't, look, it's Munster Championship. Monster Championship could throw up anything. We, Limerick beat us twice out the last three times we've played them. Cork, well, no, Cork haven't been since 2010, but Cork are very good. Monster Champions is two, uh, 13, is it? I just think it could, this could go down to a shootout between Bubbles and Horgan on the freeze, whoever gets the goals. But I can see a good game of hurling above Sunday, two hurling teams. And if you go back through the years, the best matches i ever seen in Simple Stadium were Cork and Tiff down through the years, and hopefully it shows up something similar there Sunday. Oh, great stuff, Fred. So listen, thanks, Millie, for taking the call and talking to us today. No bother, lads. All the best. Okay, that's all of our match previews completed. We've got through the football, we've gone through the hurling. Next up on the GA Podcast, we're going to delve into the cauldron of controversy and we are going to head all the way back to the late 1980s. Shane has picked out another gem this afternoon. Okay, that's all our games previewed for the weekend. We're going to delve into the cauldron of controversy, so called because... We couldn't be arsed actually coming up with anything a little more imaginative, but reeling I've always been a fan of alliteration. Yeah, well, reeling in the yeah. years was gone, so what yeah. could we do? Even where it's not required, I'll always throw it in there. So the two C's do go with together. Um, last week, we talked about an incident that took place in the early part of the 20th century, back in the infancy of the Gaelic Athletics Association. We're going to a little more modern, albeit still 30 years ago, when this happened. And the cheers of the crowd as Dublin come back out on the field. They left it for a little while. Back to comes the referee. And there is to be extra time. He's ready to throw the ball in. There's no Cork team here. There it is. Dublin, the only team on the field. This is absolutely ridiculous. Barney Rock with no opposition. The first, the only time I have seen this in Croke Park. Dublin score a goal and presumably this absolutely farcical end to a football game proves conclusively that Dublin are the team to qualify at least in the referee's opinion and in the fans' view for the semi-finals. Okay, so that might jog the memory of some of our listeners. That's Barney Rock scoring into an empty goal at Croke Park. Pretty big crowd as well. Give us the background, Shane, to this story. Yeah, so like it was 1987, the Dubs met Cork in Croke Park in the league quarterfinal. So um, the Rebels went ahead late on. Niall Cahillan converted a penalty and then Barney Rock sent it to extra time at a point. So the story then was, it was announced over the PA system that there was going to be extra time. <laughs> so a few minutes later, out come the Dubs from the, the dressing room where are Cork? 15 minutes passed, no sign of them at all. What was it? They decided, we're just going to get a train home. We had it booked and we're gone. So they were gone. The referee throws in the ball. Dublin walk up the field and Barney Rock knocks it into the net. It would yeah. appear that nobody had 
spoken to the two counties about what might happen in the event of it being level at 70 minutes? Ah, come on. Cork didn't know they, they had to pay extra time. Come on. Like. <laughs> but yeah, Cork had decided, look, we are gone. We are done. Um, so they just went home and the Dubs went on to win the league title, beating Kerry in the final. And I suppose the whole reason it came to mind is because last week there was a club game in Derry, of course, which I'm, I know you monitor closely. Clearly. Yeah, so Big Glen- fan of Derry County football. Yeah, so the loop were playing Glenullen, Glenullen being the Bradley's own and Paddy. So Glenullen didn't want to fulfil the fixture because of the referee involved, so they obviously had some beef with him. Uh, the loop showed up, ball was thrown in, loop went up the field, bang it into the net, 13 seconds, uh, the final whistle went, one goal to nil, that was the final score. So it made me think of Barney's Rock's uh, famous wonder goal back in 87. Yeah, it's happened before. The interesting backdrop, backdrop to this game was that Dublin went on to play Kerry in the league final, a Kerry team that were the All-Ireland champions, obviously a very ageing Kerry side that had won the three in a row and beaten Toronto in the 86 final the previous September. Dublin having played in the 84 and 85 All-Ireland Finals, were trying to bounce back from losing the Leinster title to Mead the previous season. And everyone really thought, well, this is just Kerry and Dublin resuming this rivalry. Turns out neither of them get through the provinces that season. Mead go on to win Leinster, win the first of their back-to-back All-Irelands. Cork play the next four All-Ireland Finals, Mm -hmm. winning the last two. And then Mead get back to the All-Ireland in 1991. So far from it, everybody just would have assumed, well, this is just par for the course. It's the old traditionally strong counties taking over and they weren't seen again until 92 in Dublin's case and 91 in Kerry's case. Yeah, so it was pretty much a dying kick of these two teams. Yeah, and it's amazing that Cork went on to do what they did. But I suppose it just uh, helped to keep down the uh, all the hype, basically. Yeah, yeah, Dublin, you've won the league title. Best of luck to you, much like Galway. Maybe Galway won't win the Hurling title this year after smashing tip in the, in the league final. And step right up Sean Boyle and Billy Morgan and the rest of the say is history. That was a particularly good one. I'll give you that. I enjoyed listening back to that clip, Jay, the, sh- the sheer incredulity in the voice of Jer Canning. You can't <laughs> quite believe what he's saying. All right, Shane, thanks a million for that. A particularly good controversial moment from the G- annals of GA history this week. Uh, you're at... One of the Leinster title games, Leinster Championship games this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to be at the massive clash between Leash and Longford. I know it actually could be the game of the weekend because it'll actually be close. Okay, will you enjoy it? We'll chat to you next week in the GA Football Podcast. Good luck. Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Team Mackie still going. Goal is up for What a goal. I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind that the champions who showed car. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. A small change before the game, worth the street. <laughs> Been a look, said I don't know. Donovan cornerback. Wild effort on goal. It's all over. Equalizer. Oh, 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 oh,